You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Well, I am very thankful to be here as a a guest speaker this morning. One of the things I have enjoyed in the last uh, 10 years of being part of Harvest Bible Chapel is when I go around and speak at various harvests, when I come back, I love seeing uh, how God has been at work. And I was once, I was first here back in 2013. I've stood in this spot and I uh, shared God's word with you. And to come here today now to see your church at two services and the growth and the God at work stories that I've heard of and his faithfulness in this uh, body of believers, I am very, very grateful. I remember uh, back in 2008 when I, uh, I live in London and your pastor Daryl was in London at that time ministering at another church and I remember him calling me up and asking me to meet him for coffee. We met at a Tim Hortons uh, to talk back then about some things that God was stirring in his heart. And he was at that point just sort of considering, should I, should I become a church planner? Should I do this thing with Harvest Bible Chapel? And what does that look like? And we talked together that day about it. And uh, actually, I don't know if a lot of you know this, there was a time there uh, when Harvest London uh, was without a youth pastor for about six months. And he was already pastoring somewhere else. And we uh, had him come for six months and lead our youth ministry for a time. So, so appreciate Daryl. Uh, Daryl, when he was in the training center in Chicago, uh, I was also there with my wife and family working there, and I got to see him and Ruth and the kids as they prepared to come back and launch this church. So excited uh, and thankful to be here with you. Uh, We're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 today. You can get over there in your Bible and meet me there. Romans chapter 1, before I get into it, I want to share a quote with you that I read recently. It's a quote by a Hollywood producer, and he was just commenting on the uh, internet culture that we live in right now. Just listen to this. There's a danger on the internet that you think you're accomplishing something simply by posting to social media. So you see an article about a disease and retweet it and think, it's cured now. And you've fooled yourself into thinking that you've done something uh, productive. What an insightful observation that is about uh, the age that we live in now. He's basically saying people are fooling themselves into thinking that simply by retweeting a picture, a hashtag, an outrage, a a Facebook like, that somehow that's the same thing as doing it and living it out. Made me think a little bit about how in the Christian life, Uh, that same danger of thinking can seep into our hearts. We could easily go through the motions of coming to church every week, receiving the good spiritual diet I know that you get here, uh, about doctrine and truth and God's word and all of that stuff, and simply think that if I retweet a Bible verse here or there, that's the same thing as living it out. And apparently, that's a concern Paul has here in Romans 12. Romans chapter 12 is a great place to jump into the book of Romans if you haven't been uh, reading it uh, for some time. The first 11 chapters, Paul is laying a great foundation of truth and doctrine about the Christian life, and then he gets to Romans 12, and he presses pause, and he says, hang on for a moment. I need you to hear something. So I want you to read with me uh, just the first two verses. That's all I'm covering today in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. These are two of the most memorized, cherished Uh, uh, verses in scripture listen to what he has to say 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And right away you can get a sense of Paul kind of saying there, if you think that all I've been saying is simply to provide you with some good Twitter feed and that that's the Christian life, you need to think again. Uh, Look at the first few words again. Notice the word therefore in the text. Very easy to pass that over. He's saying, if you've been tracking with everything I've been saying so far uh, in the book of Romans, and by the way, if you haven't been reading Romans, that's okay because it's covering all the great truths of Christianity that I know that you've been hearing in various sermons. But Paul's saying, if, if you have been tracking with what I've been saying about God and man and sin and Jesus and the cross and salvation then you have to live a certain way. Really what he's saying is, there's got to be a therefore in your life. And if there's no therefore, we need to press a pause. That's exactly how Paul will write in almost all of his letters. He gives doctrine, then duty. Principles, then practice. There's belief, then behavior. Creed, then conduct. You can say it any way you want, but that's what you get so often in the Bible. The the title of the message this morning is, No Matter What, Get This. No Matter What, Get This. And I can't think of a better two verses to bring to you at the very beginning of 2018 as you sort of consider the course of your life. And my message to you this morning, based on all that you've been learning and all of the great teaching you've been getting, no matter what, get this. I'm going to make four stops along the way in these two verses today uh, just to give you a sense of the roadmap. I'm going to start by asking you uh, an important question that really cuts to the quick. I'm going to follow that up with telling you that you have a critical choice to make once you've looked at the question. After that, I'm going to just remind you of a daily imperative that comes out of the choice. And after that, I'm going to show you the kind of real expectation you can have as you start to apply these two verses to your life. I'm excited about what God might do in your heart this morning, all right? So if you're taking notes, uh, first stop uh, along the way, uh, we'll start with this one, an important question, very important question to ask yourself this morning, and here's the question. Does God's mercy grip me? Does God's mercy grip me? Look at verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now, if you'd like to underline in your Bible, I'd underline the phrase, mercies of God, And the question is, does God's mercy grip you? Now, this is not a trick question. You might be sitting here going, I thought thought God's mercy gripped me, but but based on the way it looks like you're setting this up, maybe you're going to pull the rug under my feet. No, I'm not doing that. I really just want you at the beginning of this message to really um, steep in God's mercy. Notice the tone. I appeal to you, brothers. I appeal to you. It's not a command. He's not yelling. This isn't a guilt trip. This is an urgent, loving entreaty uh, calling your attention to God's mercy, which underlines the entire book of Romans so far. Because all of what he's been saying so far is about how a sinful person can be put into a right relationship with a holy God. And it started way back in Romans 1 with the stunning truth that all of us have been born into a sinful condition. We're totally depraved without God, meaning 
If you've ever wondered what does that mean, totally depraved, here's what it means. It means every dimension of your humanity has been affected by sin. It affects our minds in the way we think. It affects our emotions in the way we feel and process those feelings. It affects our wills with the things we crave and the choices we want to make. And the Bible says that because of our sin, we've all turned in on ourselves and are committed to going our own way. So for that reason alone... We need the mercy of God, and God's mercy is uh, the avenue that forgiveness comes to us. And that offer of forgiveness from God will mean nothing to you unless you are aware of your need for forgiveness. If I were just to come up to you out of the blue, sort of pat you on the shoulder and say, hey, you know what, Bob, I I just really want you to know I forgive you. And you have no context for what I'm saying. You don't even, you're like, at best, you might say, okay, (laughs) walk away. At worst, you might get really mad. You megalomaniac, what are you talking about? However, if you you had wronged me in any uh, significant way, and I come to you and do that, you're already aware of, of the situation, and you're aware of the need, and I do that, it's a totally different story to hear about forgiveness. I dare say, I don't know uh, many of you, but I dare say in this room alone, there are some people who kind of approach God offering forgiveness to them, and they really think, perhaps you've thought this, you come to church every weekend, and you think, you know, hey, I think it's fantastic that at this church they preach about forgiveness. I'm sure there are some people here that need it. I'm not sure I'm one of them. I know how I'm living, and I'm kind of doing okay, but I'm glad that there's help for other people. I want you to know that if that is your worldview, that's evidence of being unconverted to Jesus Christ. Because once you are aware of your need for forgiveness and that it's found in the mercy of God, it's going to change everything in your life. In fact, keep your finger there in Romans 12, but I want you to see a really good verse uh, to support this. Flip over a few pages uh, to the right in your Bible to the little epistle of Titus. And get yourself over to Titus chapter 3, verse 3. I want you to see how Paul talks about mercy again. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. And this is Paul teaching us about how a Christian thinks and feels and prays about God's mercy. You can just read along with me. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, Led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. See, we were all like this. That's what the Bible says over and over again. We all lived this way. We were all, uh, we all felt this way. This was our worldview. This was our our condition. Verse four, though, one of the great but verses in the Bible. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Man, that is, this passage is memorization worthy. Let me tell you, an actual transaction occurred and God did something because he stepped in. It says he saved us, notice, not because of works done by us in righteousness. You didn't do it. You didn't save yourself. But according to what? His own mercy. He saved us according to his own mercy. And he's going to go on there in Titus to say what Romans has been saying and what the gospel in the whole New Testament is saying is that at the cross, Jesus Christ stood in our place at the the judgment seat and he received the wrath and the punishment that we deserved 
so that I could receive, so that you could receive the righteousness from him that you didn't deserve. That's grace. That's mercy. In fact, uh, often I think as Christians, we kind of trip up over what is the difference between grace and mercy? Have you ever, have you ever worked that out for yourself? What is the difference? I, saw, I, I read this somewhere. I can't remember the writer, but I, I got the quote. I'll give him credit somewhere. Um, this is what he says. Grace is about God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is about God not giving us what we do deserve. See? Let me say that again. Grace is about God giving us what we don't deserve. We didn't deserve salvation. We didn't deserve a relationship with him. We didn't deserve the blessings that come through Jesus Christ. But notice mercy. Mercy is about God not giving us what we do deserve. That's the God that we've been singing about this morning. You've been in a series in this church on the love of God, sermon after sermon, looking at God's love from every angle. I'm telling you, grace and mercy are part of that package. Now, you may wonder, Leo, you're only uh, halfway through the first verse here. Why are you taking so long on this? Why are you pressing this thing? And here's, here's the reason why. If you are not gripped by God's mercy towards you, here's what's going to happen in your Christian life. I promise you, someday it's coming. You will, you will have what I'll call a transactional relationship with God. And what that is, is here's what a transactional relationship looks like with God. I'll do this. So God will do this for me. I'll be this faithful. He'll give me this much blessing. Okay, we call that quid pro quo. That's I'll rub his back. He has to rub my, do you see where, where this is going? It's kind of like making God uh, in your debt. Transactional relation. Does that sound like the gospel anywhere in the Bible? And if you go there, it will so, so, so wrap you up in yourself and you will totally miss out on the blessings of being changed and gripped by uh, the mercy of God. At the end of the day, what Paul's about to ask you is he's going to ask you to do something, not, hear me, not so that you can be accepted by God, but because you already are. And you get that thinking right in your mind, it's going to start flowing out in a wonderful way in your life. Look at verse 1 again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He's calling you. I'm calling you this morning to just press pause. You're busy people. We all are. We're running so, so fast, are we not? When was the last time you just paused and, and thought, whether it was in prayer, in a worship service, maybe in your devotional time, maybe in the car, and just thought through the many multitude of ways that God has shown his mercy to you in your life, in your heart, in your family, even just the, his presence with you now. Never mind the fact that if you're a believer, look at what he's done for you, the hope of the gospel, eternal life, his loving kindness to him, his act, the access you have to him in prayer. So much good comes to you when you get this settled. That's the place you need to start just to be able to get the thing he's about to lay down, which is where I'm going to go right now. Here's the second thing I want you to see. I talked to you a little bit about a choice you have to make. Here it is, the critical choice today. I want you to be thinking about this. I'm really praying. We've been praying as elders even this morning that there will be many, many people here who perhaps not thought of this for a while to give great consideration to this, to live my life as a living sacrifice. Look at this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's the critical choice you need to make today. 
Some of you are going to make it. Some of you are going to fight God on it. I'm praying that you lean into this call to make this choice. He's writing to believers who have already learned now the basics of Christianity. You, you name it, in, in truth, he's covered it. And now he's saying, time to start growing. Time to orient your life a certain way. This has got to show up in some real meaningful way. Now, the, the question is, what on earth does it mean to live as a living sacrifice? Actually, uh, it's a little weirder than you may think. If you haven't read the Old Testament before or a while, he is using Old Testament priestly language here uh, when he's talking about this living sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament, when a priest brought an animal for the sacrifice, there was blood and the animal would be slain. So just, just think about this, what he's asking you to be, a living sacrifice. At the end of the day, this is kind of the paradox of it all. He's saying, I want you to make your life a living dying. That's the call of the Christian. I want you to make your life a living dying. And when you get this concept, it's going to change your prayers. It's going to change the way you view your future. It's going to change the way you think of your money and your priorities and your career. Now, I got to make sure you get the heart of this in the right way because there's a, a, a ditch you can go into that I don't want you to go into, and here it is. When the Old Testament sacrifice was placed on the altar, it was an atonement sacrifice to atone for sin to God. It was ultimately foreshadowing Jesus Christ and his perfect sacrifice. So here's what Paul's not saying. He's not saying, I want you to kind of be a sacrifice and then be sacrificed in some way so that you can self-atone. If you can just bring enough pain into your life, enough sacrifice, you'll kind of find a way to earn God's favor and salvation. That's at the end of the day, uh, trying to be a self-atoning, atoning for your past. That's kind of saying, Lord, I'm going to try to uh, atone for all the things I've done wrong, and maybe someday you'll accept me. That idea of self-atonement, by the way, shows up in every religion on the planet, except real Christianity. And when when you read uh, what Jesus really did at the cross, there is no room for self-atonement. Consider Hebrews 10, 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified." So there's no self-atonement here. That's not what he's talking about. So what is it? What is it? Sometimes people look at this and they go, well, you know, there were some other sacrifices in the Old Testament. I remember Thanksgiving offerings. Maybe that's what Paul's talking about. And the Thanksgiving offering, they would bring uh, an offering usually from the harvest and lay it before the Lord, and it would be a way of expressing gratitude and thanksgiving to God. Is that what he's talking about? Kind of. Certainly it includes thanksgiving. It's very hard to live as a living sacrifice when you're not thankful, but the, the, the fact that he used the word sacrifice means that something is dying. Something needs to be put to death. So what is it? I'll tell you what it is right here. This is what Paul's getting at. You're not living the Christian life unless unless you put to death the idea that you have the right to live any way you want. I'm going to say that again. You're not living the Christian life unless you put to death the idea that you have a right to live any way you want. You're putting to death the idea that you belong to yourself. You're putting to death the idea that you know what's best for your life and, and what God has to do for you. You're putting all of that to death 
and you're giving it to God. You're laying it before, before him. Now, what Paul's saying here is the most radical, nonconformist thing you could ever do. And, and there isn't an age in the history of mankind that is so far off uh, the gospel and so far uh, alien to the thinking of the Bible. You want to be a real rebel? You want to be really countercultural? Live this way. This is totally going against the grain of the culture. There's a worship song. I don't know if you sing it a lot in this church, but it's a Chris Tomlin song, and it's, I've heard it in, in, in many, many churches. Maybe you know it. Have you heard this one, I Lay Me Down? Okay, here's the, here's the lyrics. Let me just read it to you. It's by Chris Tomlin. I lay me down. I'm not my own. I belong to you alone. Then he says, lay me down, lay me down. Because, you know, you've got to repeat a few things here and there. Then it says, letting go of my pride, giving up my rights, take this life and let it shine, shine, shine. Now, despite the fact that the lyrics there are a grammatical disaster, I mean, lay me down doesn't quite work. Does it? Don't do that on your papers at school, folks. But I got to tell you something. The lyrics of that song are expressing amazingly Romans 12 verses 1 to 2. Are you kidding me? Letting go of my pride, giving up my rights, take this life, Lord, let it shine for you. That is the heart of Romans 12, 1 verses 2. Do you see the phrase there in the, in, in, in the text where he says this which is your spiritual worship, okay? That word worship means service, service to God. And uh, what he's really saying is the doing of this living sacrifice, this is your service to God right here. Give yourself, sacrifice yourself, lay yourself out for God, Paul's saying. Put yourself in service to him. Make, make Jesus the ultimate thing that you live for. Make Jesus that all, the ultimate thing that you're shaping your entire life around. And I'm, and I'm going to tell you why that's so important. Because if you don't, you're going to do that with something else. Maybe you're thinking, what, what, you don't even know me, Leo. How can you say this? Because here's what I know about human beings. Every single person on the planet is living for something. Every single person on the planet has an ultimate thing. It's that altar. And they're sacrificing themselves their on the altar of something. So the question is, if it's not going to be Jesus, what will it be? I'll give you some examples. Maybe you say, you know, Leo, um, I don't really believe in, in Jesus. I'm not really sure what to make of all this. But, you know, if I'm honest, the thing that drives me, the thing that's most important in my life is my career. And I, you have no idea the things that I've done to make that thing the thing that I'm going for. It's important. Everything revolves around that. If that's you, you're, you're serving at the career altar, and I'm telling you something, you're going to be a sacrifice on the altar of that career. If that's your ultimate thing, because there's a day coming when that career will let you down, it will disappoint you, it will not be faithful to you, and it will drive you into the ground, if that's the ultimate thing. Well, maybe you say, well, Leo, I'm not really so hung up on career, I'm not that materialistic, but you know, i got to be honest, if you... You know, when push comes to shove, the ultimate thing in my life is this relationship. This relationship is everything to me. If I don't have this relationship, I'm nothing. With this relationship, life's worth living, okay? If that's you, you're serving at the service of a relationship altar. If that relationship ever lets you down, if it ever fails you, if it ever uh, uh, rejects you, it'll devastate you, and you are a sacrifice at that altar, 
maybe you think, well, career relationships, I think I have those in balance, but you know, I've been coming here, I'm not really still sure if I buy religion. I think religion is weak. I actually think relationships are weak. I'm totally independent. I am, I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I, I live for myself. That's the only thing I trust. Well, you'll be serving at the, at the altar of your independence. Someday you're going to let yourself down. Someday you will fail. And you will be sacrificing yourself on the altar of your own independence because you're serving yourself and it will flay you. We all serve something. The Bible says it over and over again. We all, all serve something. The book of Romans has been saying now for 11 chapters, there's one worthy of laying yourself out for. There's one who is infinitely worthy, one who is infinitely wise, one who is infinitely righteous, and get this, one who will never fail you. You can lay yourself at his altar. You can live as a living sacrifice. He'll never let you down. He'll never fail you. That's the gospel. With Jesus Christ, making your life a living sacrifice is the only way to find true freedom. Now, notice in verse 1, he says something interesting. I don't know if you caught it. Did you see there where he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice? He's focusing in on the physical body here for a moment, and that's a very interesting thing. Remember the original audience coming out of the Greek and Roman culture, uh, in their religions, uh, their view of the body was it's irrelevant. All that matters is the inner mystical uh, self. But what I do with my body, I can do whatever I want. My, my faith, my religion, my uh, spiritual worship it has no connection to my choices, my behavior, my doing. That's the culture Paul's dealing with. And he has to kind of write this to say, by the way, if this thing with Jesus is real, it has to show up in the body. You want to be a living sacrifice, it has to show up in the body. Why? Because the soul itself can't act out anything. The, your soul can't do anything. Your, your thoughts, your feelings, they can't act out except through the body. What do you mean by that? I mean the speech that comes out of my mouth. I mean the things I touch with my hands. I mean the places that I, my feet take my body. And really what Paul's saying here is he's saying, don't just give Jesus your heart. He wants more than that. I mean, some of you have been in the church a long time, as I have. I'm sure you've heard many, many, many times, perhaps at a lot of youth retreats, like I've heard it, you know, give Jesus your heart. Give Jesus your heart. And, uh, and of course, we do that. But you need to hear what Paul's saying. He wants more than your heart. He wants it all. He wants the whole package. He wants... All of you, it's where you come to the place of saying, Lord, I can never repay what you've done for me in Jesus, but here I am. I want to place myself at your disposal. I'm consecrating my life to you. I'm not just yielding myself to you. I'm not just surrendering. I'm not just submitting. I am freely offering myself. I'm presenting myself to you with my future, my money, my family, my relationships, my priorities. It's all or nothing here, folks. You know, at the end of this message, um, we're going to have a little time uh, when the worship team comes up. We're not going to jump into all singing together. We, uh, we want to minister over you, and there's a little time there to be considering now in this moment how to respond to God with this. 
And I want to encourage you to just start preparing your hearts right now. Even as I'm going through the message, yes, we have some teaching here, but my question to you, is the Holy Spirit perhaps pressing on a certain area of your heart? And he's revealing to you that this is the day, beginning of 2018, to kind of take this uh, uh, living sacrifice call and make it real with him. So just be thinking about this. I got a couple more things to say, though. Here's the third thing in in the message. Now that we know the choice to be a living sacrifice, here's the third thing. It's a daily imperative now. Stay on the altar. Stay on the altar. Look at the end of verse 2. He's going to say, do not be conformed to this world. This, this thing I'm talking about today is not a one-time prayer. We don't do this today, walk out of here, and it never ha- we never think about it again. This is a daily conviction. We're going to be coming back to that as believers every day. Why? Because you and I have a tendency to crawl off the altar. Just the facts. Uh, we sang it. My heart is prone to wander there in one of the songs. That, that's, that's the challenge, the daily uh, challenge of staying on the altar. Notice what he says, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. So the first thing about staying on the altar is a conviction um, that be, uh, being a living sacrifice, there's a command here to resist the embrace of the world. Now, I want you to see how uh, just a few other translations uh, translate this verse. I think it really... Um, fleshes out the meaning really nicely. Listen to them. Uh, The old Phillips translation says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. I like that. New Living Translation says, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. The Amplified Bible says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in even without thinking. Bam! That is a fantastic translation of the idea Paul's getting in. I love it. Don't become so well-adjusted that you, you fit in. You, you just don't even think about it. You don't have to. There's no, there's no tension. And then the New Century Version says, do not change yourselves to be like the people of the world. Now, he's not saying you can never enjoy yourself. He's not saying that you have to kind of find some hermit monk community out in the desert and kind of walk away from it all. Right? God's given you many things. Uh, he's blessed you ri- richly with many things to enjoy. Family, friends, food, rest, even hobbies. Uh, when they're in their proper place, they're meant to be enjoyed. That's not what he's talking about. That word there in verse 2, do not be conformed to the world. It's the Greek word ion, which means age. The age that we're living in. In the New Testament, there's two ages. There's the present age of sinful darkness that we're living in right now. Uh, we, uh, of which we've been rescued from. And then there's the age to come when Jesus returns. And Paul's telling us this present age we're living in is dominated by uh, values under the power of Satan and built on human desires that stand in contrast to God. And so he's just asking the question, are you being dominated by the culture or not? Are you being defined by your culture or is it the other way around? You may hear that and think, well, that sounds legalistic. No, that's not legalism. Okay? That's biblical thinking about your life. I would just say to kind of, if I could bring the, the, the focus to your heart a little more intensely on this, I would say this. Can you point some, to some instances in your life where you have had to say no to culture, no to the world around you, so that you can stay in the position of saying yes to God? That's, what, that's what's happening here where you can look at times in my life where I've had to say no to this to say yes to the Lord. 
Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a type of entertainment. Maybe it was an activity with some friends. Maybe it was a value or a novel idea that's approved in society. I'm going to tell you that normal Christian moment, life, will have many moments like this. There's a tension there. When you are aware of that tension, I'm telling you, that's God at work in you. Now, maybe you say to me, you know, I hear you, I agree with this, Leo, but i got to be honest, this is, this is hard. This is hard. What, how do I, I struggle with this? All right, so let's talk now about how you arm yourself for this. How do we equip ourselves? That comes right out of the next phrase Paul gives us. Notice this. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So we've gone from body now to the mind. And the mind needs a, a renewing. And that process is part of transformation. That's what he's really saying here. And really, this shouldn't shock you. We all know that the things we think end up affecting our feelings and our behavior. Okay? And, and, and the, the mind is either going to take you to one of two places. You get your mind to a certain place, renewed, as the Bible says. It's going to turbocharge your walk with God. And then the flip side is true. Fill your mind with the wrong things, and it's going to have a detrimental effect uh, to your relationship. So, jot these three things down that just help you flesh this out in, in the area of your mind. Uh, number one, protect your mind. Okay, you want to figure out, how can I do this? How can I get this thing going on, this transforming of the mind? Start here. Protect your mind you got to protect your mind with the Word of God. Now, you don't need to flip over to Matthew 4. I'm just going to just summarize the story. But do you remember in Matthew 4, uh, first few verses, it, there's the story there of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness by Satan. Do you remember that story? And Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, fasting and praying. And just when he was at his weakest, at his most vulnerable, who shows up? The enemy shows up. Isn't that the way he always does it, by the way? When you're, at, when you're weak, when you're vulnerable, he's going to start pressing in. And Satan confronts him and lays down the temptation. You look pretty hungry, Jesus. You know you could solve this problem. You need some carbohydrates. You could just command those stones to become bread. Go ahead and do it. You've got the power. Interestingly, Jesus could have answered a lot of ways uh, to him right there, but I find it interesting that he answered from God's word. <laughs> Jesus is the word of God. Jesus wrote the word of God, but for this moment, he quotes the word of God in dealing uh, with the enemy. And he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. By the way, on this issue of dealing with the enemy, when the New Testament says, James chapter 4, verse 7, for example, resist the devil and he will flee from you, that in no way means go start looking for fights with the enemy and start trying to have little battlegrounds of your own where you go on the effect. That's not what it's doing. He's saying resist the devil and he will flee from you. How are we doing that? It starts with protecting your mind. Now, Satan comes to him again, says, prove yourself as the son of God by jumping off the top of this temple. Jesus responds again with God's word. It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He comes back a third time. If you will fall down and worship me, Jesus, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. I find that interesting. The restraint Jesus shows in his response, because I, I could think of some things Jesus could have said, like, let me hang on for a moment. You're telling me this world that I've created, this world that I'm already a king over, I already own everything. You, you want to give what I, is already mine for me? How pathetic. But again, Jesus just says, and this is my point for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only 
shall you serve. Listen, Jesus is showing us how to protect our mind. And when you give yourself to God's word and all that means, studying it, memorizing it, being exposed to it, it's going to have a protective impact on your life. You're giving the Holy Spirit ammo. He needs things to work with. What do you got floating around up there? And you start doing this, I'm telling you, what you'll start to find is you'll be surprised some of the things that start coming out of your prayers as you've been faithfully now giving the Holy Spirit ammunition. That's why 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take every thought captive. One of the ways you do that is through the Word of God. Sadly, there are perhaps some here, you're maybe too many, I don't know. Seems to be the case that we need to be stirred up in this a lot, but there are many here that are... I'm telling you, you are disadvantaging yourselves by not getting more serious about God's word. And we have many ministries in this church I'm aware of that you could give uh, yourself to and let them here at this church help you grow in a disciple on this. All right. Protect your mind. Here's the second thing. Wash your mind. Okay, we've got the protection thing going on, but did you know the word of God also uh, has an amazing ability to wash your mind? Ephesians 5.25 actually is a great passage. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. Sanctify means to make holy. Uh, In salvation, Jesus declares you righteous. Uh, In sanctification, he is making you holy. And then it says, Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. You may be here this morning and you might say to yourself, I just feel that I'm, I'm not sanctified. I feel unclean. I have so many issues in my life. The word of God has the ability to wash your mind, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. You may have heard some things. You may have seen some things. You may have done some things. You perhaps have some regrets. And then there's the constant barrage of the pollution of this wor- the world You can take God's word and have it saturate your mind and wash your mind. But it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some investment into it. Turn off the TV. Maybe set down the hobby for a bit. Don't do anything until you have thought through here at the beginning of 2018 how you are going to prioritize God's word in your life. Listen, there are 168 hours of the week, and I know we're busy people, and I know uh, that we have a lot of demands on us, but I also know that we also waste a lot of time on a lot of things. Where is God's word in your life? It's life to you, and yet for so many of us, it sits on the shelf. Hebrews 4.12 says this, Great reminder today, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Protect your mind. Wash your mind. Here's a final thing now, just in terms of all this transforming of the mind. Set your mind. Set your mind. I love Colossians 3.2. It says, set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on the earth. And the idea of setting here in the text is the idea of looking through a scope on a rifle and you're taking that scope and you're setting yourself on a target and there's a clarity and a focus uh, to what's going on there. All that is is really a picture of what the word of God does for you that you need to do every day. 
Every day you face a thousand decisions and the word of God can help you set your mind in the place where transformation can happen. And it may, for some of us, start with just the discipline. It may just like, I'm undisciplined in this, Leo. I got to do something about it. All right. Okay. So let's get going on it. I'm telling you what will happen 30 days in, 60 days in, 90 days in. That discipline will turn to desire. And you will find yourself suddenly going, you know what? I want to do this. I don't just need to do it. I haven't just sacrificed some time to do it. I know I'm suddenly seeing this. And then what will happen from desire is it will move to delight. I remember the first time really as a young adult where I kind of realized as I was in in God's word that I was delighting in it, that I was finding in it for me ammunition, power, protection, hope for all the things going on in my life that I, I was helpless against. As Jeremiah 15, 16 says, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. That's what we're going for here. There's, listen, there's no renewal of the mind without this word of God thing, protecting, washing, setting. Here's the final thing this morning, just quickly, coming out of all that I've said, um, a real expectation, a real expectation, growing in godly discernment. Here's what he's saying. You do these things. You start living this way. You're going to grow. This is a promise. This is an encouragement. You're going to grow in discernment. Now, I don't know about you, but I know the things going on in my life, the things I face. I, I welcome increased discernment from the Lord. Look at the, look at the end of verse 2. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And Paul's saying here there's a goal to all of this. When you trust God as a living sacrifice, when you trust God in these things that he's been talking about, not conforming to the world but being transformed by the renewal of your mind, he's saying here's what's going to happen. You put yourself in the position you put yourself in the only position to be able to, do, to discern, to grasp the will of God. When you trust him in this, in the verse 1, in the first part of verse 2, you put yourself in a position to grow in discernment. Now, you might be saying, well, what do you mean by discernment? He's not just talking about the fact that you'll grow in being able to discern how to make wise choices, although that is true. I believe the Holy Spirit will guide you and lead you in the big decisions of life for sure. We can count on that in the Lord, but there's something bigger going on here. He's talking about discerning God's revealed will in his word. So many things he's already given you with clarity, with specific, this is my will for your life. But do you know it takes discernment? To be able to read that and go, oh, that's how it applies to me. Oh, I could actually see I have to make some changes. You have to be in that place of discernment. And and here you're going to grow in this as you give yourself to these things. I would encourage you to take a step of faith and grow in this. And watch how God is faithful to his word as you grow in discernment. What a blessing that will be. In your life. If I were a parent, I would be getting my young adults, my late teens who are facing a life of difficult choices, I'd be getting them on this program right now and helping them to think about this so that they have wisdom. But none of everything I've been talking about here happens until we get serious about this choice to live my life as a living sacrifice. That's why I said to you no matter what, get this 
no matter what. Nothing is coming unless you start with this. This is the key to being filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. This is the key to being able to walk faithfully uh, in obedience uh, in your walk with Jesus Christ. It starts here. Now I'm going to invite the worship team to come up right now. They're going to sing a song over you um, for a bit. Uh, we, won't, we won't have you stand right away. We'll just have you sit there. We're, we're going to have you sing with us together. We'll join in. But I want you to use this time as we sing this song uh, to reflect on, on what God's calling you to do today with this. This song is an oldie but a goodie. It's called Take My Life. And it really reflects all the things that Paul's been talking about in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. And maybe here, I would just ask you even now to bow your Heads and close your eyes, no one looking around, just an opportunity for you to talk to the Lord. You may find yourself saying this morning, you know, Lord, I, I, this, there's been some rust here. There's been some drift. I have not given my heart uh, full attention to this matter, and I want to deal with that right now. I want to be intentional with you. I know that I can't repay what you've done for me in Jesus Christ, but I want to place myself at your disposal. Go ahead and just talk to the Lord about that. This issue of being able to say to him, here I am, Lord. I'm consecrating my life to you. I'm not just yielding to you. I'm not just surrendering to you. I'm not just submitting to you. I'm I really freely presenting myself to you as a living sacrifice. I'm offering myself to you. My future, my career, my time, my choices. For some of us, with my marriage, with my family, I'm placing myself at your disposal. There's no other altar I should serve at. You're the only one faithful and true. Just feel free to sit and talk to the Lord right now as this song is sung over you. <laughs> 